0: Well, Chad is so very sorry that he could not be with you right now. He's had fever and a lot of other maladies since Wednesday, and he's been fighting so hard to get back in here, um, but during the night was texting me and saying, can you do this? So, um, so I'm your pinch hitter for today. Um, especially during the season of Lent, it just weighs on his heart as a head pastor that he should be here, he should be with his flock. And so if you'd be praying for him to feel better, that would be just wonderful. We will rearrange our sermon series. You know, we've been talking about what about, and then you fill in the blank. So today would have been what about enemies. And so we'll rearrange things and make that turn out all right between now and Easter Sunday. So for today, the sermon that I have for you actually has to do with forgiveness. So I think that'll flow with the Lenten season. Recently, there was a time when I was up here and I was praying for you all and I was praying the Lord's Prayer and I used a phrase, something like, to live a forgiven life. I asked God that we might live a forgiven life and there was a covenant partner after the service that reached out to me and just said, oh my goodness, you know, when you said that, that really struck a chord with me, that really stuck with me, Um, you know, thank you so much for saying something like that And, and I can't take any credit for anything like that, that's when the Holy Spirit just speaks to me and through me. Because I do feel that. I do feel that I live a forgiven life. It's very powerful to me. And so I share the importance of forgiveness with as many people as I can. It's part of my being a disciple who makes other disciples. So when Chad had asked me to have a sermon ready, just in case, um, this is the one. This is the one. So the sermon is titled, Before and After... And the Bible passage is in Acts chapter nine. With this being a rather impromptu sermon, there won't be any slides. So get out your devices, get your Bible, grab the Bible that's in the pew and follow along. I will refer to this throughout the sermon. So you might wanna keep it open. Acts chapter nine, it's verses one through 20. Listen with the ears of your heart. Meanwhile, Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found anyone who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he asked, who are you, Lord? And the reply came, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but get up and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. And the men who were traveling with him stood speechless because they heard a voice but saw no one. And Saul got up from the ground and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. For three days he was without sight. He neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he answered, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight. At the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. At this moment, he is praying, for he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord... I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who invoke your name. But the Lord said to him, go for he is an instrument whom I have chosen to bring my name before the Gentiles and kings and before the people of Israel. I myself will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias went, and he entered the house, and he laid his hands on Saul, and he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on your way here, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes, and his sight was restored. And then he got up, and he was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength, and for several days, he was with the disciples in Damascus. And immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, he is the son of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Great and mighty God, please open the eyes of our hearts, open our ears and our minds that we would hear your word proclaimed Speak to us and through us that we might take this out to just one other someone who needs to hear you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. So I wanna know if you've ever been through a house of mirrors, maybe a house of mirrors. You know, it's kind of that goofy maze and it has glass and it has mirrors in it. Well, I can tell you that every fall, the West Texas Taylor County Fair came to town and they always had one of these goofy mazes. And I knew full well what I was gonna see and I bought a ticket to go through that crazy thing every year anyway. So close your eyes, just close your eyes and go with me through the maze. In one mirror, I'd be as short as a mouse. And in another mirror, I'd be as tall as a house. In yet another mirror, I'd look all wavy And then in another mirror, I'd look like a football backliner, linebacker. So now open your eyes. For those mirrors, if that's the only place I ever saw my reflection, that distortion would become my reality. And I will share with you that just for a a variety of reasons, I grew up in a household believing in a punishing God. And when that was all that I saw, that distortion became my truth. And I projected that truth onto other people. I operated as judge and jury. I was born and raised a Christian. I was born and raised a Presbyterian. And I was eager to attend every Bible study. I was there every time the doors were open. And yet I wasn't acting like a Christian. I thought I was. I certainly thought of myself as a Christian before my own personal eye-opening experience. For me, that took place at Houston Presbyterian Curcio Number 6. Curcio is like walk to Emmaus or pilgrimage. It's a three-day spiritual renewal weekend. And so I went on that in February, um, the 4th through the 7th of 1999 at Camp Allen in Navasota. And before that experience, I carried a lot of baggage on the spiritual road into that three day event. And I didn't even realize it for the first couple of days. And then during the weekend, there was a worship service that became my healing, that became my road to Damascus experience. That was my spiritual transformation. Saul, carried a lot of baggage on the road to Damascus, and he didn't even realize it before God's healing hand took a hold of him. And before the three-day event, he was breathing murderous anger. And when I think of Saul, you know, the before pictures in my mind, I envision that he saw himself as a lieutenant for the high priest. And we know from other scripture that he was well-educated. He was a Roman citizen. He was a devout and thorough Jew. He was a descendant in the tribe of Benjamin. He was proud of this. He was eager for his faith, and a little too eager, I'm afraid. Before today's passage, there's a, a chapter right before ours, chapter 8 in Acts, the very first mention of Saul is when he receives the stoned and martyred Stephen at his feet. Now, stoning was illegal for anyone but the powers of Rome. And yet Saul approved of it. He approved of the severe persecution that was taking place against the church in Jerusalem. He conducted house by house searches for men and for women who were followers of Jesus Christ Every follower was to be imprisoned for their heresy against the Jewish faith. And Rome had granted Jews the right to extradite offenders. So Paul was encouraged. He was equipped and inspired to carry out such rights as a Roman and as a Jew. And so that's why he requested of the high priest these letters that are mentioned in verse two. That's why he went to the synagogue in Damascus so that he could bring back to Jerusalem anybody who belonged to the way. That's what we know Jesus as, right? From John 14, we know Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. So any Christ follower is a part of the way. Well, instead of eagerly and ferociously capturing Jesus' followers, Saul had a profoundly different experience before entering Damascus. It started with a theophany. And a the theophany is like a high church word, a high theologian's word. It, it just means the physical appearance, the physical expression of God. So think about Moses. Moses, when he walks up to the burning bush, it's burning and burning and burning, and yet it's never consuming the bush. It continues to burn. That's a theophany. That's what Saul saw, a vision. He saw the expression of Jesus Christ's appearance in a bright, blinding light. How amazing. Saul saw and heard nothing less than the one true Messiah calling him out for his past behavior, calling him by name. His savior called him by name, Saul, Saul. Just as the Holy Father long ago called Moses, 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 or he called Samuel, Samuel. It's that same thing. Saul hears his name, Saul, Saul. why do you persecute me? And when Saul asks who it is, Jesus answers, just like his heavenly father did for Moses. He says, I am. I am Jesus who you are persecuting. I am. That's the name at which every knee will bend, every head will bow. Amen? This miraculous vision, this blinding light, and this voice what more would anyone need? I mean, Saul has fallen to the ground. He has seen this bright, blinding light. He's heard the heavenly voice of authority. There's witnesses to this event. What else do you need? But God didn't create us to be a bunch of mind numb robots who just do exactly what we're told. For as zealous as Saul has been about the law, our great and merciful God meets him where he is, knows every hair on his head, understands that Saul's gonna need some time. He's gonna need some time to process this, to transform, to wrap his mind and his body and his soul around this whole event of his savior being the fulfillment of the law. So blinded, completely dependent on the kindness of others, Saul is led by the hand, the passage tells us. He's led by the hand into Damascus. The only other person in biblical history that's led by the hand is Samson. In the book of Judges, Samson is led by the hand to the Philistine pillars that he ultimately will press and destroy. For three days, like how perfect is that, right? Three days, Saul remains blind. In verse nine, we're told that he neither ate nor drank. I can understand that. He had this experience. Man, if that had happened to me, if there'd been the appearance of the Christ occurring for me, I think I'd be in shock too. I don't think for a moment that he was just moving right along with life. I wonder if, He was fasting, or maybe he was praying, maybe he was worshiping, maybe he was practicing some spiritual formation. I imagine personally that the man had to be in shock, praying with sighs too deep for words, and wrestling with what he has been practicing against the one true Messiah. How blind had he been in all of his zeal? How sightless had Saul been to truth with a capital T? How much of the Messiah had he missed already? And how many men and women had paid for it with their own lives? Our author of the book of Acts, the good physician, Luke, he switches gears on us here in verses 10 through 16. He changes the scene to Ananias. Ananias trusting and obeying God. I could do a whole nother sermon just on that. But for our time, I'll tell you that I find Ananias to be one of the bravest people in the whole Bible. In the Greek, his name means merciful. Merciful. I think there's a beautiful and awesome bravery and obedience in Ananias in this grace and mercy. And our Lord is willing to dialogue with him. The Lord explains that he's given Saul yet another vision in which Ananias comes and divine protection for Ananias from the violence of Saul. Ananias comes to restore the man's sight. So Ananias goes to Damascus. He goes to a street named Straight. He goes to Judas' house where he finds the sightless, dependent, humbled Saul. And before Ananias appears, Saul has grappled for three days with his situation with his past, with his savior. And Ananias lays healing hands upon him and calls him brother Saul. Such grace and mercy. Here is Ananias, this human instrument of God's healing power. And he speaks with such inclusive language to a man who's done so much evil. So close your eyes again, just close them again, and imagine, who is your Ananias? Who comes into your life speaking God's words of grace and mercy to you? Who comes into your life to do that, perhaps at great personal risk? And still with your eyes closed, Who are you being Ananias to? What risk are you taking to speak God's word to someone? Just one other someone. What precious child of God needs to hear you speak his words of grace, mercy, inclusion, forgiveness? Okay, so open your eyes. After Ananias lays his hands on Saul, Ananias confirms the vision. That really was the Lord Jesus that you saw. And your sight's gonna be restored, Saul. You will not remain blind for the rest of your life. You're gonna be filled with the Holy Spirit. Before this experience, Saul was blinded to the truth. Before this three-day transformation event, ever occurred, Saul was blinded to Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, as the Messiah. He was spiritually sightless. His vision was clouded and his own brand of righteous anger messed with his vision, his view, his sight. In his spiritual blindness, Saul succumbed to his own false belief, that distortion of the truth. He thought he was following his Jewish faith so perfectly and properly, but he was blind to his salvation. To what are we blinded? What does our personal zeal block us from seeing physically or spiritually or compassionately? Imagine this next part that I'm gonna read to you. It begins at verse 18. After Ananias touches and speaks to Saul, just imagine that immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and his sight was restored. Something like scales fell from Saul's eyes. Imagine scales falling from your eyes, from my eyes. What might be some of the scales that you'd like God to remove from your eyes? What would you like to see? Before the Damascus Road transformation, Saul saw only his version of the truth. And after three days, he was understanding the truth with a capital T, Jesus Christ. He could have wallowed in the wicked things he did before. He was so zealous for the law. But through prayer, through the help of Ananias, Saul became a blessing after the transformation when he was zealous for Christ. He let God replace his zeal for the letter of the law with this fresh new zeal to live and die for Christ. And after all of this, Paul went on to be a disciple. He went away to study and to preach and to practice. And he came back and he spoke the truth to hundreds and to thousands of people. He gave his testimony. He wrote numerous letters, which we have in our Bibles. He established churches and on and on. In his letter to the Romans, he wrote, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While I still believed in a punishing God, Right? Because that's how I grew up. While I still believed in a punishing God, He called me, the likes of me, into ministry. Before I ever saw Him as a loving God, before I ever felt forgiven, before I ever forgave much in others, He called me. And as I mentioned, I attended that Curcio worship service. That was my road to Damascus experience, my transformation. And I wanna share with you something of God's work in me at that time that helps me now to live a forgiven life. That transformation occurred in those particular three days of that renewal weekend, God brought me the Reverend Sam Steele. He's a great big cowboy preacher, kinda rough around the edges and I felt safe. I felt safe to confide in Sam. And in talking with him, my tough shell finally cracked. I just cried like a baby and I hate crying. And in listening to Sam speak God's word over me, I found forgiveness. It turns out that God forgave me way back when I asked him the very first time. (laughs) But I had never forgiven myself. As long as I continued to punish myself, I prevented Jesus from taking hold of my life, my heart, and using me for service. Sam Steele was my Ananias. And he shared some confidential things that he put at at risk in his own personal life just so that I could see forgiveness. And in that healing moment, God gave me a glimpse of how he sees me, how he loves me how he loves you, how he sees you. First Samuel tells us, the Lord does not see as mortals see, they look on the outward appearance. The Lord looks on the heart. So like my friend Paul, as you've heard me call him, my own heart is forever changed after my own road to Damascus experience. With the scales lifted from my eyes, I see and live a forgiven life. So I urge you, let God remove any scales from your eyes. Let God open your sight to the truth that he has waiting for you. Let him bless you. He has a blessing in store for you so that you might be a blessing to others in his name. Amen. Heavenly Father, Speak your truth to us, write your truth on our hearts and grant us courage to share your truth with others. In Jesus' name, amen.